Welcome to this episode of Clarity Generates Confidence. We are now in season three, actually coming closer to the end of season three about accelerating certainty. But I got to tell you, I'm, I'm really excited to have a gentleman that I've known a long, long time, over 30 years probably, Paul Bourbonnier, who's a co-founder of a retirement planning firm, which is now in its 25th year, Paulson Bourbonnier in Derby. Paul's been a longtime strategic coach client. We've sat in many workshops together. In fact, I think that one of the claims to fame for Paul, which you probably wouldn't say, is he was a client of Dan Sullivan's before he even started the strategic coach in the workshops were there. So I think it's over 35 years. And so a person who knows that Dan really, really well, but I'm so delighted to have Paul with me today. So Paul, thank you for joining us. Well, thank you, Gary, for having me. I'm looking forward to participating. It's been really interesting is that and I'll and I'll say this in a in a good way. I've I've coached now for 26 years, and I've coached an awful lot of people, a lot of people in financial services, and and I don't often have that many of the financial services on. But I did I did pick you to come on, and I'm glad we could do that because one, the survivor that you are, the plans that've been there, and so I've, I've been very interested in your perspective, not only on what's been happening in the past, but what's what's coming ahead in the future. So, Paul, again, I appreciate you being with us today. Well, certainly you often think about retirement as kind of the end of a life or a winding down or the phasing out of the creative part of your existence, if you will. And in fact, we take the opposite view. We think that retirement and longevity and the whole issues of, of life span are creating a whole new frontier. And so in fact, there's more uncertainty or at least more questions or more discovery. I think I think in a positive sense, I would say there's more discovery to be happening in, in this particular phase of life than arguably in, in any other phase. And so it's, it's really neat to be, if you will, the Sherpa of our clients because they certainly aren't thinking about living to 120 or they aren't thinking about really much other than making sure that they have enough. That's kind of a fundamental issue. And will their health hold out so that they won't spend their last several years you know, in suboptimal medical circumstances. So to, to be able to, to sort of paint this picture of a, of a vast new frontier is really quite interesting. You know, I really like that perspective. And that's one of the reasons why I, I wanted you and thank you for being on it, is that I like the idea of discovery. And I have a question for you that was given to me by a young guy who was in the program for briefly. And he said, you know, he said, be careful when you retire because you got about 10 good years and then it seems to go downhill after that. Is, is there any truth to that or is there, what can people do about that? Well, as with so many things, Gary, it's about mindset. One of the first questions we ask prospective clients is who's the oldest person in your family? And sometimes we'll get, well, you know, we're kind of all gone by 80 because we have heart disease or, but you will also get, well, Uncle Fred's 102 and still alive and kicking. So all of a sudden they're mentally establishing that maybe 102 is a, is a viable age, is a realistic age. I mean, in my family, my maternal grandmother lived to 102. In fact, she was seven months shy of seeing three centuries, which is uh, kind of a kind of a cool thing. So I'm very used to the concept of 90s and, and 100s. And so it's it's very important that people get used to that concept that there's it's it's a it's an abundance conversation, not a scarcity conversation when it comes to to time and opportunity down the road. So so Paul, what's the biggest hurdle? Because one, I really like this. I really like that. Thought you know we've talked we talk about mindset a lot, but what's the biggest hurdle that your clients have to overcome when you start introducing this new phase as opposed to the end of things, but the beginning of something else? What what do they have to overcome? 
I think a lot of it is is societal or cultural. I mean, I think we've this countdown to retirement is a phrase that sadly we hear too often. And sometimes there are people who, through circumstance or the type of work that they're doing or whatever, are are kind of counting down to retirement or really, I mean, it's great to look forward to retirement, but it's not because retirement is an escape from what you're doing now, but rather it's a new source of creativity. So I, I think this whole idea that you aren't necessarily at your most productive when you're gainfully employed, that there can be other definitions of productivity or or value adding that can apply when you're not cashing a regular paycheck. So getting over this idea that, and, and of course, you know, the, the, the basics, the nuts and the bolts is how's my, you know, what about my health and what about my finances? You know, am I able, if I'm going to live this long, then isn't that going to require a ridiculous amount of capital that I don't have? And so why would I want to, you know, finish my days in poverty? So there's, there's some fundamental, you know, bottom of the Maslow's pyramid stuff to worry about. Well, it sounds like Paul, what I hear from you then is you, your work, although it begins before retirement, I see your firm and the retirement planning actually having a significant impact on people's lives even after they've retired, as opposed to just before. Oh, I would say so. I, th- I think the years before retirement are just sort of the warm-up. I mean, that's great when we can still influence you know, their, their consumption. We can influence, in fact, the year that they, quote, retire, unquote, which, by the way, I think is another issue that, that has to be dealt with both from a tax point of view, but also from a society point of view. You know, we always say, well, you know, our grandkids or our kids don't get married till they were in their 30s. Well, if you've got a 120-year lifespan, that's the first quarter of your life. Likewise, the last quarter of your life doesn't have to begin at 60 or 65. It can easily start at 75 or 80. And so we really have to deal with issues about you know, what, when do we begin this transition to the next phase of, of life? And it doesn't have to be because you get a certain factor on your pension. It, it can be because you're changing your, your outlook or you're, you've solidified what it is you want to do, or you've clarified what it is you want to do for that, that next quarter of your life. Is it really hard for people to kind of come against, used to, a coach, I think we call it going against gravity, that gravitational pull, you go and retire and, you know, that's what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to, you know, get your place in, in Florida or whatever it is and go down there and play more golf and something I've never really subscribed to, but that's just not my thinking. But how do they go and say, well, you know, I can do more. I, I'm not done at 65 or 70 if they've chosen that retirement or 55 or 60 in the case of a couple of my brother-in-laws retired. How do you gear them back up to say, there's more, there's more to be done. There's more you can contribute. I'm fascinated to hear that. You know, Gary, that's probably our biggest challenge. I mean, to your earlier question about how do we sort of get people ready to go? I, I think it's up to us to, to help paint that picture of what a future can look like. It's a lot easier to my earlier comments about someone who's got elderly family members, like I say, Uncle Fred at 102, who still, you know, golfs uh, three times a week, that kind of thing. So it's a lot tougher when people have, for whatever reason, sort of shortchanged themselves or cheated themselves or mentally have said that that this is all, you know, I've, I've always been a I don't know, bricklayer, and, and that's all I'll ever be. And when I can't lay bricks anymore, then then what the heck, I'll sit in the front porch and hopefully have some grandkids. Uh, you know, it, it's, it's the real challenge of firms such as ours to not only 
say, yes, you've got enough financially and we will manage your cash flow and all those kinds of things. But we also have to say, and by the way, here's, here's the why. I think that's the key to any aspect of life, but particularly for retirement, when you don't have a lot of role models, there aren't a lot of yet, uh, I'll say yet, active 95-year-olds to whom you can point and say, well, that's that's the kind of life I want to live. And there's a whole industry surrounded, you know, active 95-year-olds. Now there will be, you know, as with anything else, the boomers are going to sort of push the market. And when the boomers get to be in their 90s, There'll be all sorts of industries and services and what have you that will make living a 95-year-old a very exciting thing to do. I mean, Satchel Page's great comment, you know, if I knew I was, and when he said at the age of 94, if I knew I was going to live this long, it would have looked after myself a little bit better. And I think that's what's going on right now. I think we are riding a massive wave and just as a fish in a and a tank of water doesn't know it's it's in water. I don't think we understand the kind of wave we're on. And I think it's up to firms such as ours, anybody who's giving advice and guidance to folks as we all approach this for the first time, to try to peek around the corner, try to peek over the crest of the wave to see exactly what could be there. So it's up to us to find those vital hundred-year-olds and say, what's going on with your life? And by the way, how would you like to have a chat with some of our clients over a lunch sometime? I, I think there's some tremendous exploration to be done. That's fascinating because when I think back to my very beginnings now, 30 years ago plus at Strategic Coach, one of the things that we did early on is called the Lifetime Extender. So let me tell my own story a little bit. My mother died at 68 of cancer, so I've now lived longer than my mother has. And my father died of 83 also of cancer. Now lived a, a full life and, and went pretty quickly with pancreatic cancer at 83. And, you know, so when I did my lifetime extender, I said, I'm going to be lived to be 85 because I'm going to live longer than my father, just sort of my little of defiance. And he lived a few years older than his father. And then when we go on and do, what do we want to do with the extra years? I think I bumped it to 125, which is sort of where it is now. And at that point in time, because I'm going back 25 plus years ago, Paul, is that that was people were sort of like, what the hell are you doing? And of course, Dan Sullivan was saying he's going to live to 156. And, and, and he did that by saying, I want to live a full century and he'd missed the 20th century. So he has to live the full 21st century. But it was just sort of a, a number thrown out there. But what happens to you when you start to do that, you begin to look at those things and say, well, you know, I don't want to die at 68. I don't want to die at 83. Um, I want to live well, though. How long I live, but I want to live well. And you're absolutely right. You begin to think about the, you know, your life in a in the way Satchel Page talked about it. Well, if I'm going to live that long, and now that's my vision, which is what you said was really important for people. Now you begin to think about things differently and looking at different ways, different things of that keep you energized, keep you value. I hadn't really put it in that perspective until you know you were speaking here today. And I go, wow, that's something that I have been thinking about and maybe subconsciously, maybe subconscious part act about for for a long period of time now. Well, depending on the on once again the mindset of, of the client, some are are quite intrigued by this concept of living past a hundred. And and by the way, we sort of co-mingle two concepts. One is living past 100, but the other one is making sure that the years between 70 and 100 are incredibly productive and creative and, and fruitful. I, I think if everybody said, listen, not only will you live to 100, but at age 99, you're still going to be doing the things you love to do and looking forward to tomorrow, people would say, well, boy, that's a that's a huge improvement over kind of the way I was thinking before. So so I think that that however you want to define longevity, it's either more quality years or more years in total, 
one way or the other, you're, you're dealing with, with the same issue. We have uh, some pretty sophisticated planning tools that we use for our clients. So sometimes if they're really intrigued by this idea of longevity, we will show them the fact that we always do our projections to age 120. If, mm-hmm. if you can tell there's a huge amount of skepticism, we just don't show them that part of the graph and the charts, but we still run those numbers. Because I have, I have no idea who it's going to be. I always say if, if there's more than three people in, in our office at any one time for a client meeting or whatever, I've often said, okay, let's, let's start with the fact that at least one of the people in this room is going to live past 100. And I let that sink in for a bit. And I just sort of watch the body language on, uh, particularly if there's two clients, just how they're digesting that. But I want to make sure that no matter how long they live, I mean, I don't want to say, oh, geez, if I'd known you're going to live to 102, we would have set more money aside or whatever. There are ways that you can still finance the future without sacrificing too much consumption up front. And that's that's why we're in business. But it's it's kind of interesting to see them digest that whole concept of having the resources to live past 100. Yeah. You know, Paul, and that makes me think of it. How do how do the, the spouses react to this, the husband and wife and your combination significant other. I can't imagine they both think the same way when you're having this conversation. What what goes what goes on? What have you seen? Well, I think they're, and not being female, but I, I suspect that that uh, women generally assume that they're going to outlive their, their spouse, their partner. You know, typically the female is younger and yet she has a longer life expectancy. So she's you know, from the get-go, probably figure that I've got 10 to 30 years on my own. So I have to make sure that what we're doing here gives me the tools to make sure that when, I, when I'm on my own, not if I'm on my own, but when I'm on my own, that I've got the tools and the wherewithal to keep my independence. So I, I think that, you know, if, if, if it's the wife who's typically the more financially oriented and watches things, and which, which of course can often happen, then, then I get this sense that, that the, uh, the husband's kind of along for the ride. You know, he, it's, it's tougher to engage when not only is he not really interested in, in investing and taxes and all that stuff, but now I'm being, he's being asked to imagine a life beyond 100 or the possibility of life beyond 100 and therefore enhancing the quality beforehand. And it's not like a stubborn mule, but, but sometimes you've got to give that leash a bit of a tug. And, and that's part of what we do. And that's just kind of what you have to be uh, aware of as, as you co-plan their, their future years probably get a kick out of this. You know, as I told you, my mother died at 68, my father at 83. And Karen's father, my wife's father lived to be about 75. And then he had an aneurysm. But all the women on her side, none of them died before age 90. Even her grandmother lived to be 93. An aunt who was basically sedentary from the age of 60, they lived to be 90. Her mother lived to be 97. She keeps telling me that she wants to go first. And I said, you're not likely going to go first before me if heredity counts for anything. And, and her concern is that I'm going to leave a mess behind. And I said, well, what do I do to make sure that she doesn't leave a mess behind? But kind of interesting. There's not The longevity is clearly on my, on my wife's side. So I'm having to deal with how do I plan? I watch my father the same situation. He was seven years older than my mother. And he was for sure felt he would die before she would. And so he'd never really planned at all for him being by himself, not from a financial perspective necessarily, but just emotionally how that would be. And uh, that was, that was, uh, it was, it was not, it was not fun to watch, but very 
uh, informative for me to, to think about things differently than, than I'd seen before. So, yeah. Well, we used to test plans. We, we used to call them crash testing plans way back when, but we don't do it for, for seniors. We, we refer to them as fire drills instead. And, and it's effective. Sadly, the, the time when it gets their attention the most is, is when there has been a, a death of a friend or, or a family member. And, and usually the, you know, the first time afterwards, they say, oh, it's sorry to hear about cousin Fred or whatever. By the way, you're probably wondering what your situation looks like. And I said, so this is, this is when we do what we call a fire drill. And sadly, you know, we're going to put you in a pine box right now. And let's kind of go through the steps, who gets contacted, what happens, what's left over, who's involved, all those kinds of things. Because that's the time that they're thinking about that. And that sadly, it's because of the death of a friend or family member that has brought it right to the immediate number one thing to deal with. You know, it's like when you're shopping for a car, ordered a white car, well, all you notice are white cars on the road. All they can think about is, geez, I wonder, wonder what my situation is like. Even though intellectually, we've had these conversations for many times, the, it's the fire drill that brings it home. And, uh, and that's usually if there are any shortcomings and we think we've covered every base, but you'd be surprised how interactive fire drills can be. And if there's something that's cropped up recently or is an issue that's never been resolved, a lot of stuff gets done. So Paul, let me just change tact a little bit here because you've been in this investment world. I know that your firm is 25 years, but I'm sure you've been in longer. Mm-hmm. What, what do you see is happening now? I, I, I feel, I mean, and let me, let me, let me give you a little bit of broader philosophy of mine. And, and I feel that we have been in what I'll call an economic war since 1975 that would last about 50 years to 2025. And it's just sort of a theory of mine. And that's when the microchip and the personal computers began to come out in 1975. And so we're in this turnover between what I'll call sort of the analog and the older economy into becoming a digital economy. And there was some sort of Years ago, I thought maybe around 2025, there'd be some sort of convergence. It's looking like that's to be the case, certainly between 25, uh, 2025 and 2030. What, in your opinion, is going to happen in the investment world? Is it is it already taking place? Is it, you know, I, I feel there's going to be a turnover as there has been from the, as I'll call it, the economic war. And you may not agree with me either, and I'm, I'm happy to hear what your thoughts might be, but that's sort of been my thinking for, for some time now. Well, I think the you know the obvious in the digital world are just the number of new industries, businesses, companies, therefore investment opportunities that have been created. I mean, you look at some of the largest corporations in the world did not exist in 1975. In fact, arguably the founders of those businesses probably were still uh, you know playing sandlot uh, baseball or whatever. So it's 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 amazing how quickly wealth can be created. So, so one is the, the quantum of wealth, and the second is the speed with which it's created. I'm not sure. I'd have to check. But if we, if we went back to, say, the railway days or the automotive days or the telecommunications days, you know, were those industries developed and, and adopted and, and made productive as quickly as the digital era that we're experiencing right now? And I think the next stage will be the, the bio area to continue our conversation or the thought of, of longevity. And I think that that's arguably the next area. So it's changing the definition of, of speed. It's changing the definition of obsolescence. We all have perfectly good devices that because the little chip inside is 20 years old, it's, it's so much, it's a piece of junk. 
And our biggest concern is how to recycle it responsibly, but it's not worn out. There aren't pieces that need replacing that you can get at the hardware store. And, and so this whole concept of, of obsolescence by, by function as opposed to obsolescence by, by mechanically wearing out is, is, is well, that's the analog versus the, 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 the digital. And, and then we get into, as I say, whatever phase goes, goes beyond this, but it's, it's just fascinating. We went from, you know, agricultural to industrial to mechanical, if you will, and, and now digital. And, and next will be some sort of, you know, next, next, uh, next phase. It's the adoption rate and, and how it benefits humanity. I mean, some of the things that we take for granted today weren't even dreamed of, you know, at the beginning of the, the convergence. So I think that in investing, you know, capital plus ideas equals wealth and uh, plus markets, I guess, equals wealth. And, and uh, so, you know, this, there will be more opportunities for, for people in the future to, you know, to expand their balance sheets. You know, and so that may, brings me something I know I did want to bring up with you, and I didn't. I don't have it really clear in my head. I said during recent conversations in the last you know, couple of workshops, you talked about a new innovative investment strategy that you had, and I, I believe it had something to do with real estate. But I, if you if you were at liberty to to talk about it a little bit, I'd really appreciate hearing more about it. I thought that was really fascinating that what you're involved in. Well, I, I don't think it's it's terribly new, but it, but it is. Anytime you can get beyond the 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 broad public markets, the public markets, and and I'll say that specifically focus on you know traditional debt and equity and bonds and stocks. I mean, they're they're well regulated. They're incredibly diverse. They're liquid, and generally speaking, over time, they will deliver a, a satisfactory return. But if you can, there there are certain industries or subgroups, and real estate being one of them. That there are so many, quite frankly, so many layers to the to the product that if you can get sort of right down to the beginnings, right where someone says there's a piece of land, here's a, I think here's something that we should be building on it, and and provide the capital to those people, the rewards can be quite significant. And of course, real estate is interest rate sensitive, it's economic sensitive, it's geographical sensitive. And and it is not as liquid. I mean, if you're if you're putting money into a project until that project becomes, you know, gets its final coat of paint and its final, uh, you know, shrub planted out front, it's it's still a work in progress. And if you want to take your money out, too bad. You better have uh, liquidity elsewhere. But there's often a saying in investing that you trade time and price. So if you give time, you will get a better price. And so if I'm prepared to say here, you've got four, five, six years before I expect to see any money back, then I'm going to expect a much higher price because I've got basically, uh, I've given six years uh, time for the thing to, to come to fruition. So so I think there's, there's opportunities there. It's not new, new or unique because what you're building are either residential or commercial, but it is a different animal and it is a diversifier from the traditional capital markets. And so because of the restricted liquidity, because of the limited supply of these products, the potential returns to investors can be quite significant and not necessarily tied up to what's going on on Bay Street or Wall Street. And therefore at times such as now, when we've got uh, uncertain equity markets, to have something else that's behaving differently can reduce the risk and enhance the returns, which is always a positive outcome. Well, and Paul, that brings us right back to where we started this whole conversation. 
was how important it is to have a long-term view of your own life. Because if you if you have a long-term view of your own life, and let's say you're 70 and courts retired, and you've got, and you've got, got till 100, 100 plus, you've got 30 years. So what's four or five years if you've done the whole planning, if you're like worry-free retirement experience, so you've got the planning, you know what's there. You can take the time to be able to get the price. I would think the two things fit very, very well together, Paul. Well, in fact, Gary, they do. And that suggests or leads to another concept that we've not spoken, and that is one of, of legacy. As much as you know, we do have to pay attention when we're making the investment recommendations to a 90-year-old, often the 90-year-old will be the one saying, well, I realize that this money is money I will not consume. It's likely my kids may not even consume, but, but this is something that you know, we have fill in the number nine grandchildren or, you know, and, and two of them have special needs and we want to make sure that there's money there. So I really would like this to be established as something that will bear fruit when they're of a certain age. And, and, and that's a, that's our legacy conversation. You know, obviously we have to make absolutely certain that the 90 year old has the right investments for their circumstances. But if they are telling me that what they want to do is make sure that they're planning for two or sometimes three generations down, uh, that that changes the the time horizon for that particular type of investment. And so often we put very specific sort of labels around it to make sure that it's clear to everybody the purpose of that particular investment. Awesome. Paul, this has been a fascinating conversation as much as I've, I've known you over the years. We've not really taken the same time to do that. So I really appreciate this opportunity. And, uh, you know, something is I, I always ask at, at the end, is there anything else that you'd like to say to the audience? Because I think you've provided a great deal of insight. People when they and looking at their life as they might have considered near the end, but really, as you call it, sort of midlife. Well, what else would you like to let them know about uh, before we sign off here today? Well, I think it's, what's the best thing to say other than don't look so forward to retirement and don't, you know, these are, these are, pieces of advice that we've heard forever from, from family members, you know, don't wish your life away, but, but do make plans and do understand that we may be surprised at the kinds of changes, advances in the world for all that we're going through right now. If, if we could all kind of peek inside the labs and the research departments and where the, the really smart people are creating things and see what they're working on, I think we'd be pretty excited. I mean, for every uh, unfortunate, uh, you know, conflict in in Europe, there's there's liable to be you know some university in Africa where the where a couple of the students are going to solve the X or the Y that that will that will really uh, transform the world, or they'll come up with a better. Uh, something as prosaic as a better battery so that uh, electric cars can be a reality. I mean, there's so many things that, that you know, humanity's done a pretty good job of sticking around for, for all these hundreds of thousands of years. Let's try to stay positive and, and but not even just stay positive, but let's get excited about the future. And there's a whole industry around looking into the future. If you would just put away the the daily uh, doom scrolling on the phone and 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 dial into some of this stuff it can be pretty exciting to read about and gets you pretty excited well Paul that's fantastic and the sort of the motto that I live by is is the only time I like to use the word retirement and for people is retire from the things that you don't like and always take on the things that you do like to do and you do have as we say in strategic coach unique ability for 
I really enjoy any opportunity to, to share these uh, ideas and hopefully there'll be some listeners who will say, you know what, maybe uh, it's, time to re- it's time to rethink how I was thinking about the next 20 years because it starts with mindset and there's lots of suggestions of how great things will be if we just uh, embrace them. Paul, thank you. This has been the purpose of this podcast for the last three seasons. We said this one's accelerating certainty. There's a lot of things that are, are changing, but there's a lot of things that are still staying the same and, and recognizing where we can go with it. So, so Paul, thank you so much for being a part of it. I know I'll continue to see you as strategic coach. We're probably lifelong committed. Uh, you've been even longer than me. And so to all of our audience out there, please stay safe and stay healthy. And until next time.